This episode is brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly and sustainably sourced in Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring that launched exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launched on January 18th. So check it out before it's gone at BlueNile.com. What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show is another edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag show answering listener listener submitted questions all episode long. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. You can tweet at me at Mike G Rich, or you're not a Twitter user, just someone who doesn't tweet, you can send an email to the show. The address is lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. We do this every week, rain, sleet, or shine. So if you want to get involved, those are the two ways to do it. We would love to have you. Without any more preamble, let's get right into it. The first question comes from Plebe from Portland at Malnati on Twitter, who asks, your thoughts on some of our young guys like Ant, Nas, Harry getting extended run. If the team can stay floating around 500 while CJ Nurk and Collins are out, in what ways are you looking for those guys to contribute? We will get to Nazir Little next because he had a career night when the Blazers got rolled by the Bucks on Monday. Quick caveat on the timing here is that uh, I solicit questions or I send out a tweet soliciting questions about 9 a.m. Uh, Monday Pacific time. And now I'm recording this basically 12 hours later after the Blazers got blown out by the Bucks. Uh, you know, people's opinions of players change quickly from game to game and, and, and the big topics shift quickly from game to game. So I try to tailor these questions so they fit with the sort of new reality of the post-Milwaukee beatdown. But so let's talk about the young guys real quick, though. Cleveland Portland asks about Gary Trent and Ant and Harry and, and what I think what I sort of want to see from them. You know, there isn't anything specific. I guess for for Harry Giles, I just like to see him play consistently well, just consistent minutes. Um, he's He has these moments where you're like, Dang, Harry can do so much, but just put it together, eight, you know, eight, nine good minutes where it's he's not, you know, showing off his skills on one end and then getting dunked on or being out of position or fouling on the other. Uh, just, you know, eight, nine, ten consistent minutes, then two consistent games, then six consistent games. Harry just needs to be consistent. With Ant and um, and GTJ, Gary Trent Jr., it's it's a little bit different. You know, Ant, I want to see him make twos. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not super worried about him running the offense because I don't have high hopes of him becoming an NBA point guard. Like, I think he's just going to be a two. Um, he's If he shows signs that he can score, it, it, he'll figure it out and fit in the league. You, you can always find... If a guy can get his own bucket, there's always a place for him. Creating shots is always valuable. Um, it'd be better for the specific team if he could be a point guard, but that's those aren't my hopes for him at all. So him to make twos. He shoots a ton of threes. Just like, does he have an in-between game? Can he find ways to get to the rim and use that athleticism to get to the cup? I'd like to see from uh, Ant. Gary Trent is just, can he do more of what he does well? I, like, f- for me, if Gary plays at the peak of his sort of relatively narrow skill set, then he's going to be really good. 
Uh, if he adds anything to that, he's going to be better than really good. You know, if he's a, he's, he was shooting above 50% from the floor prior to the Milwaukee game or above 50% on pull up threes prior to the Milwaukee game. Like he's just nailing shots off the dribble. He's been awesome. Um, as of late, basically over the last week, uh, just more of that and more competitive defense. Um, I don't need to see if, if Gary just keeps doing what he does, it'll be, um, I will say, Hey, look, Gary's, Gary's good. And that's good. Uh, there it's, uh, it's really like situationally specific though. If these guys play well and the team loses, it won't feel that way. So, I mean, they just got to contribute to wins in any way that they can. Next question comes from Sir Wheezy at Wheezy Sir on Twitter, who asks, with Nas getting the start last game, oh, just you wait, Wheezy Sir. 12 hours later, it's going to get better for you and your boy Nas. What do you think of Nazir Little's game? I think he provides defense, athleticism, effort, and hustle, all things needed on the team. Dog, Wheezy. You think he provides a little 30-point night, a little 30-burger with six boards, 11 of 18 from the floor, 5 of 7 from 3? He had made two threes all season coming into the game. The best game Nazir Little has played since he was a senior in high school. That's not, I'm, that, I'm not slighting him. He was never this good in college. Um, I didn't know he had all this in the bag. The three-point shooting, you know, obviously this was a blowout and some of his production did come after the game was decided in the final quarter, but he was really good before that. Uh, he, he led the Blazers in scoring, uh, he took the like took the mantle and sort of Blazers leading score early in the third quarter on a mid-range jump shot. Uh, he hit two threes in his first shift. He played pretty good defense, ended with two blocks and a steal. This was like he's not going to be this every night, right, y'all? Like he's he's not going to get 18 shots. First of all, that's um, that number is going to come way down. But some version of Nazir Little who provides real aggressive offense. Um, the jump shot looked good. It was, this was a really, it was a career night for him. And um, I thought Lamar Hurd made an interesting point in the broadcast that this didn't feel out of control. Like you didn't say like, well, he's never going to do this shit again. Uh, it's just, he was, he was playing within himself. Like maybe the three point shooting was a little bit beyond what, what would be typical, you know, five or seven is, you know, all time great type of shooting numbers. But if he hits three of seven, that's still a, a very good three point shooting night. And I think that would have been reasonable. This was a level of offensive aggression and variety and competency that I didn't know he was capable of. He, he probably won't. I'd be surprised if he has another 30-point night all season, just like how the sort of team is structured. But if he could be a consistent guy who pushes towards double digits, boy, does it open up um, a lot of a lot more opportunities for him and a lot more opportunities for the offense and so many more interesting combinations for this team if they have a six foot six athlete a dude who can play three and four and and in theory I don't know if he's very good at it yet but in theory guard multiple positions this was um this was as good as he's as he's capable of and I had no idea he was capable of it so shout out to Nazir Little a a really bright night and an otherwise uh, 28-point loss on the road where the Blazers didn't look particularly competitive. Next question comes from Bernardo Sharpie at B underscore Sarpy on Twitter, who asks, Mello has been really inefficient in the last game. I've seen a lot of people trashing him, but I think his leadership is so, so important inside the locker room. People tend to underestimate this. Thoughts on that? Shout out from Brazil. Bernardo, shout out from North Portland. Happy to have you on board. Thanks for listening. Uh, you weren't the only one to ask about Mello. In fact, Alex sent this question to the Gmail, said, how much longer do you think the Blazers will let Mello continuously kill us on both ends of the floor before, 
before the plug is pulled. Bernardo, is this what you were asking about when you said people have been trashing him? Because I think Alex jumped in to trash him real quick. Alex continues, I understand being stewards of his legacy. We are likely to give him a long look to get himself right. But if he continues his horribly inefficient shooting, do you think there's a chance once we start hopefully to get healthier his playing time could be greatly reduced or eliminated. We need to take full advantage of Dame's prime and continually throwing out a losing player is not maximizing our best chances to win. Scott at Scott PTB 30 asks, Mello season low 17 minutes for Chicago in parentheses. I'm going to add here 18 minutes against the Milwaukee Bucks with the team shorthanded. It's the quarter mark of the season. Do you think there's an official unofficial timeline for stewardship with regards to Mello's legacy or just a blip? Also Dame definitely looked him off in off in the post several times. So yeah, his last two games, Melo has been like straight up terrible. Like just, he's been super extra bad, but he's also um, just sort of struggled beyond that. Um, in the, in the six games since both CJ and Nurk went down and Melo has kind of stepped into, I don't know, a larger role, but just sort of like he's, he's needed to take a larger share of the offense. Um, he, he was already sort of taking a larger share, but now it's, it's more of a necessity than like a, um, than a stylistic choice uh he has been just just really really bad over his last six games these the six games since uh, cj nurk got hurt but over his last six games uh carmelo anthony shooting 30 percent from the floor 18 percent from three that's 24 of 78 from the floor in six games five of 27 from three I actually think Melo's just sort of raw field goal percentage doesn't do him justice, so I think it's best to consider him in terms of uh, his effective field goal percentage because three-pointers matter, and for him, like, shooting threes is going to be an important part about what he does, but his his effective field goal percentage over the last six games is a cool 34%. The only one on the team shooting worse over the last six games is Kelgen Blevins. That's yeah. Even CJ Ellaby got in there and got got a little more effective. Uh, was a little more effective offensively than Melo. He's just been bad. Um, and and he's playing less because he's bad. And I think that actually is an important takeaway. Is not like how long will they be stewards of his legacy? They kind of have to play him a little bit. I mean, basically until this Nas breakout game, they there wasn't even like a reasonable option you could say like, hey, maybe he should play more. It's not like Nas. It's not like Nas sh- showed flashes of this thirty point game and then like. Um, we saw this coming like this came out of nowhere. He's, he's, he's been all, um, he's had, Nas has had his moments and hasn't been very good. And then all of a sudden he has this awesome game and now he deserves those minutes. And we can talk about, Hey, play Nas over Mello. Now it's a real reasonable conversation. If you were saying that before you were basing it off of, um, just hope, blind hope. And you were right with your blind hope, but you didn't have like, there wasn't a moment even in the game, even if you're not like statistical stuff, like this wasn't a moment in the game where you're like, see, Nas can do that and Melo can't. You didn't know. You just were, you just got lucky. Um, and I, it's good to be, it's better to be lucky than good. Right. Um, but Melo now, like before that he was, I think it was important that he only played 17 minutes in that game because there wasn't, a, he has to play a little bit just because it didn't have any other options, but, uh, shortening his, Playing time against the Bulls when he clearly did not have it, I think, was an important moment for Terry to not just give Mello the ceremonial 28 minutes and let him suck for another 11 minutes. I thought that was important. Um, I don't think that there's like a timeline for sort of the stewardship of his legacy. I think it's more about just like 
they're not going to um, nail his ass to the bench unless he deserves it, I think is more of what that means. And I don't, I, while he has been bad these last six games, um, I don't think you can reasonably look at the roster and say this dude deser- deserves zero minutes. Like I know maybe many of you or some of you think that, but I'm not there yet with him. Uh, after this performance from Nazir Little, I think that it gets it gets the conversation could be started. We can have the conversation now. And to go back to the original question here um, from Bernardo, like his leadership stuff, I I think that might be a little overrated. Like I think the Blazers. Um, they definitely respect him and he's venerated in the locker room and Dame really, really, really respects him in a way that I've I've maybe not ever seen him do with another teammate. But in terms of sort of like how that leadership translates to them getting right and doing right, Dame provides all that. Like Dame is the sort of, is the heartbeat um, and CJ as sort of the 1A to that because he's been in the system so long. Melo's voice is, is important and loud and, and definitely, um, valued in the locker room, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's offering this sort of like intangible leadership that can't be replaced in the way that Damian Lillard is. All right, let's answer more of your questions in the third segment, but first I want to tell y'all about bet online. Look, it's betting season. It's we're in Super Bowl week. There's NBA games every single night. So if you're looking for an online sports book, there's one place that has you covered and one place we trust, and that's betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. Look, there's a big there's a big American football game this week. So if if you were ever considering betting on a, on a football game, I imagine it might be the Super Bowl. This is a common a common trope here in this fine country. So do it. Why not? Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON. You receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right. Look, Lockdown Blazers is covering everything you need in terms of Portland basketball, but you might be asking yourself, what about the rest of the sports? Well, now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered because Locked On Today just launched on the network. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski. It's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. So subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you already get your podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Ben Sprouse at Ben underscore Sprouse on Twitter who asks, Mike, for the next six weeks, you get to add one bench slash role player from each of the two following past Blazer teams to our current roster to help with injury troubles, 2010-11 and 2000-2001. So I would have added Jermaine O'Neal, but he was traded for the, prior to this 2000-2001 team. That was going to be like a huge money pickup for this team. So uh, I had to I had to pivot a little bit. So from the 2000-2001 team, this is post um, post-Western Conference Finals run the following year where they got rid of Brian Grant and got rid of Jermaine O'Neal. So I'm going to go with Stacey Ogman. Um, length on the perimeter, a really good defender, uh, could play a little bit of... Th- I know he played like two and three in his in back in the day, but he would be a power forward um, for my money in the modern NBA. He would play three and four, um, and he would be... He'd be awesome on this roster. His length, his um, his ability to defend, he would be a, a huge pickup. And then from the, the 10-11 team, I'm going to go with Marcus Camby. Uh, I debated Andre Miller, but um, he can't shoot and he needs to dribble a lot. And I don't watch this team and think like, 
Is there a way that Damian Lillard could have the ball less? Uh, I know many of you think this team desperately needs a backup point guard. I probably don't share that belief. I think they need to upgrade their their front line. And uh, these these Marcus Camby and Stacey Ogman are going to do it. Camby, pretty good defender. Um, he might struggle a little bit in this sort of modern times defending in space, but he's great hands, great shot blocker, really, really good passer would bring a dynamic that they don't currently have, would be an awesome backup center. So Stacey Ogman and Marcus Camby would be my two additions. Next question comes from Brandon King at BKingPDX on Twitter, who asks, if Mason Plumley or Hassan Whiteside were the only centers available on the market and we had to pick one, which one would be a better pickup center for this current injury-depleted team? So I think it's Plumley. Uh, Whiteside is is just such a, such a monster production-wise, like... The, the points and rebounds kind of overstate how good he is, obviously, but there is um, there is something to be said for someone who rebounds and scores at the level he does. I just think the Blazers have a better version of that in Ennis Cantor. Um, less mechanical, um, a little more team concept oriented, uh, still limited on defense in a way that um, Whiteside also limited on defense, but blocks a ton of shots, which Cantor does not do. So... Um, I just think Cantor, I think Cantor and Whiteside overlap too much, and Plumley, although he's he's kind of more of like a theoretical defender than good defender, uh, he's his. I think the passing would help a little bit, and I think he um, he just plays hard, and I think that adding that that kind of just juice to the second unit would be valuable. Um, neither neither of them are super inter- are super like intriguing for me, but I'll go Plum Dog over Whiteside. This next question comes from Bethany, who asks, My boyfriend thinks our only chance at at ever winning a championship is trading CJ and others for a big-name star. I disagree. I can't think of any big-name star who would thrive coming in coming to Portland and playing for, quote, Dame's team. My question is, in a dream world, what needs to happen for us to be a championship team? If we do consider trading CJ, who would be an equitable trade? And if we didn't, what needs to happen? So, yeah, um... I, I don't know if I agree with the uh, no star could fit alongside Dame. Like, he's really good, and other really good players would enjoy playing with him. There is something to be said for whoever came here certainly would be um, would be the number two, and they'd have to be sort of wired that way. Um, but I kind of think, like, if Anthony Davis was on this team, he would be a pretty awesome number two, and they would kick ass, and he would just, it would be fine, um, even, if he would, if, even if he was, like, maybe the better player or something like that. Um, yeah, but I can see how, like, if you're worried about egos, I understand. I understand that concern to some extent. But I, I think um, guys in this era would sort of, they would figure it out. I don't think uh, many people would be threatened by it. I, I do question, Bethany, I do question your boyfriend's plan that he thinks that um, trading CJ Nets a star. That's, we'll talk about more about that soon. I'm not sure that's easiest way to do it. Like, I just, I guess, like, I don't. I don't see an equitable trade that includes 29-year-old C.J. McCollum owed the money he's owed for the next four seasons netting someone back a star. If you just look at what stars have been traded for, it's young players on more palatable contracts and a, and a boatload of picks. And I don't think C.J. fits the sort of that mold. He was awesome. In, to open this season. Absolutely fantastic. And it was headed for an all-star game before he got injured and kind of, um, you know, he's just not going to play enough games to to qualify in a crowded West. Um, so 
I don't know that there's an equitable trade centered around CJ. I think that's kind of one of the Blazers' problems. So if if, if what needs to happen for the Blazers to win a championship outside of that is they need to draft a star. Um, and they need to draft a star who's a star right away. It's it's not an easy task. Like they need to tr- they need to draft a dude who next year is, you know, they draft or they don't even have their pick. So um, they need to get a first round pick, draft a dude next year who's like the rookie of the year. And then in his second season, when Dame is 32, is like one of the 25 best players in the league. Like, I, I think that's sort of their path forward. And while he is one of the 25 best players in the league, Gary Trent Jr. takes a step. Zach Collins is healthy and awesome. Nurk is healthy and awesome. But like you just, um, it's a lot. It's a lot. They're, they're, um, they're in a tough place. They're, they're in a tough place without taking a really big swing. Um, I, I neither think keeping CJ makes them a championship contender nor trading CJ gets them in that direction. I just think, um, right now they're hoping that things break their way and that sort of the internal guys grow up around them. Like Ant and Gary Trent and Nas take these big, big steps forward. I think that's their path to being really good. And that's a hard path, uh, to, to travel down. Next question comes from Taylor, who asks, with the emergence of Gary Trent, feel like now might be the time to deal CJ for Zach Levine. Maybe we add more to get Lowry Markinen. What? <laughs> uh, why are the Bulls trading 24-year-old Zach Levine for 29-year-old CJ McCollum? Like, Levine is, is everything you want. Like, he's everything that CJ provides, except he's a better athlete and he's a little bit bigger. I, the Bulls hang up the phone, dog. Next question comes from Elvis Boscovich at Left the Building on Twitter, who asks, what are your thoughts on trading CJ next season? We have, by by the way, y'all, we've reached the part of the word doc where everyone's trading CJ McCollum. What are your thoughts on trading CJ next season and moving Gary into the starting lineup at the shooting guard position with the 76ers? Having been willing to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden, do you believe they'd be willing to settle a deal for CJ? Look, sorry that you had to take the Bishop Bullwinkle. I know you're a first-time question asker, and then you got hit with that Bishop Bullwinkle, and I'm sorry, but um, CJ McCollum just isn't isn't on James Harden's level. It's not close. James Harden is the best scorer of his generation. CJ McCollum is the second-best scorer on his team. Um, they just wouldn't entertain it. Like, I think it's a cool idea, and it's an idea I've even floated on this podcast, but when they refuse to trade for James Harden, you realize that the asking price was just really, really high. Ben Simmons is awesome. He's flawed, but he's awesome. And CJ McCollum is was playing his best basketball. I say just at this point, let's just let CJ flourish in Portland. Let's let him get healthy and flourish in Portland. He can prove me wrong. Known hater Mike Richmond, he can prove me wrong when he's back on the court. And then y'all will say, look, he's an all-star. You're an idiot. And I will say, my bad. But until then, that no. The, the, the Sixers are are not entertaining the CJ for uh, Ben Simmons deal. Not even close. Next question comes from Kyle, who asks, what would your opinion be for Gary Trent and Zach Collins for Julius Randle trade? Gary and Zach are restricted free agents, and Randle is a free agent next year, but perhaps this would so- solidify our interior with a strong four, sometimes five. And Randle, let me know your thoughts on this hypothetical trade scenario. I don't like it. Julius Randle's awesome this year, like an all-star, but he needs the ball in his hands a lot, and he's not much of a shooter, nor is he a good defensive player. Um... I just think you need when you're when for me when I'm trying to build this team I want parts that complement what Dame does really well. Julius Randle for Gary Trent Jr. Zach Collins is probably just like a 
significant talent upgrade and talent wins. But in terms of like playing winning championship level basketball, I just, I don't think the Blazers can play a non-shooting four who's not much of a defender. Like I, I, I just don't think that I don't think they can have that type. Um, but Julius Randle has been a joy to watch with the Knicks, and he's extremely left-handed. And I love anyone who's extremely left-handed. Next question comes from PF Normal at Bob underscore Deeger on Twitter, who asks, "Who's the best vet, regardless of position, that Portland could sign off the street or make a low-stakes trade to provide defense leader, leadership in a sort of player-coach role? Filling a position of need would obviously be a bonus." The team was quote, so vocal on defense during the second quarter against the Bulls, it clearly helped their focus, but it seems to me that they need a defensive leader on the team to help maintain that. Clearly, the coaching staff is unable to get this from players for an entire game. Yeah, I mean, either clearly the coaching staff is unable to do it, or clearly the players are not as um, capable of it. I think it goes both ways. You can ask guys to yell all you want, but you can't make them yell and communicate on the court yourself. It is one of the conundrums of coaching. I guess my top three veterans you could sign off the street to sort of fill this role would be Tyson Chandler, who's not an NBA player, but whatever. Uh, Damari Carroll, same, probably not an NBA player, but whatever, has been in the league a lot, could, could help out. And if you want to get sort of closer to NBA player, but still not an NBA player, is Corey Brewer. All these dudes played a decade in the league. Um, I think that's kind of what you're going for. Chandler seems to uh, check the box the most because he was a former defensive player of the year. So I'm going to say Tyson Chandler is your is your number one choice for a guy you could sign off the street that would help the Blazers defensive communication. Next question comes from Blazers Raiders fan at Raider Tommy 4 on Twitter who asks, what do you think about trading for Bradley Beal? I know that means CJ has to go and I'm not saying I want this, but curious how Dame and Bradley Beal would be together. Boy, would they be awesome. Uh, Bradley Beal's just better than CJ. Very similar players, but Brad, Bradley Beal's better than him. Um, I Listen, I think Bradley Beal, when he gets traded, they're going to send the godfather James Harden trade deal for him. And let, let's, just, let's just, again, with the, with the star trading stuff, it's going to be a young player a la Karis LeVert, on, on the way up. Um, and, and a young Another young, intriguing player entering the end of his rookie deal, like Jared Allen. And seven draft picks. That's four of your own draft picks, or three of your own draft picks, and then four pick swaps. Is CJ is, doesn't check the box of Karis LeVert or Jared Allen. Uh, I guess, in theory, Gary Trent Jr. checks the Jared Allen box, but um, still CJ is a little dicey. I don't know why the Wizards, when they're starting over, want to have a CJ McCollum, Russell Westbrook backcourt that they're playing, that they're paying, I don't know, $85 million over the next four seasons. Um, it's just, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, but boy, Bradley Beal's awesome. He'd be fun to watch. Next question comes from Tamterius at Tam the Greek on Twitter, who asks, should the Blazers consider trading Gary Trent Jr. for Lonzo Ball? I don't mean straight up, but a package around him and most likely Rodney Hood. I think if Lonzo is okay being a backup and willing to extend for a long deal, which I don't think would happen, it raises the team's ceiling. Kyle here in Beaverton asks, I would like to know your thoughts on the Blazers trading for Lonzo Ball. I don't know how it would work financially, but I'm thinking he'd be a great fit because he doesn't need the ball and he's a solid defender. I'd love to see him and Gary Trent Jr. come off the bench. I love how first questions trading for Gary Trent Jr. and the second question is combining Lonzo with Gary Trent Jr. Um, I like Lonzo. I don't really think he's, he might not be a point guard. He might be better served as an off ball guy because he's a pretty good spot up shooter and he refuses to attack the rim. Um, he'd be a good secondary creator. I, I mean, I would, I, I don't, I don't like any of the packages because I think like Gary Trent is a better fit on this roster right now than Lonzo is. But in theory, like Lonzo has 
has a much higher upside to me than Gary Trent. Like, I think Gary Trent is going to be a really high-level role player, and there's an outside chance that Lonzo Ball still turns into a pretty good player, although he stinks right now, so buy low. Um, I think, theoretically, I like the idea of having Lonzo Ball on on the Blazers, um, you know, a guard who can defend, who can really pass and shoot standstill three-pointers, but I don't, I think the asking price is going to be too high, and I don't, like right now, I'd rather have Gary Trent. So I don't love I don't love the packages. So in a vacuum, to quote Neil Olshay, I enjoy it. In practice, I'm probably not a fan. Okay, let's come back in the third segment and close out the show. But before we get there, I want to tell y'all about rockauto.com. Y'all know rockauto.com. It's the family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They get everything you need. Engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks, all of it delivered directly to your door. And the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate too. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices you prefer. And best of all is the prices because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low and they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. You can just go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. While you're there, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way we know they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond, and you're still listening to Locked on Blazers. If you like this podcast, can I recommend you listen to Locked on NBA? East meets West in Locked on NBA Tuesdays with Wes Goldberg, the Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News and host of Locked on Warriors, and David Ramil, the host of Locked on Heat. They tackle the biggest stories of the day coast to coast, so subscribe to Locked on NBA wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's close out this Mailbag Monday. We got more questions. This next one comes from Rark Muffalo at PDX Soccer Moms on Twitter who asks, what do you think the odds of that sequence to win the Bulls games were? Well, on The Jump, they had a stat today, I believe it was courtesy of Elias Sports Bureau, that there had been 23,510 games where a team was winning by uh, five points with under 10 seconds remaining. And nine of those were wins. And that includes the Wizards game against the uh, against the Nets. That happened the next night. So 23,501 losses, nine wins in those, um, in those t- types of scenarios. And that doesn't even factor in that Dame hit a 37-footer, that Gary Trent Jr. won a jump ball over the uh, dunk contest champion Zach Levine that Rocco scooped up a loose ball and tapped it to Dame and that Dame was able to get there and hit a falling out of bounds, fading three over a seven foot tall Lowry Markkinen. So it never happens nine times out of 23,000. And then it also included some other really improbable stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at arithmetic. I'm not very good at advanced math, so I'm not going to be able to do the odds for you, Rark Muffalo, but 
It's very rare. It was rare. That's why in the podcast that was in your feed yesterday, uh, if you're listening to this now and you haven't listened to that one, check it out. Um, I just, uh, I encourage you all to appreciate how fun Damien Lillard is because th- those moments are rare and in a long, sometimes difficult season, you really have to um, sit with the joy as much as you can. Next question comes from Francis Mack at Francis underscore Mack on Twitter who asks, GT2, Gary Trent Jr., seems to like shorter answers in press conferences, and not many people like to ask him questions. Why is that the case? Not many people like to ask him questions. I'm not sure what the read is on that, but I will say this. Generally, when a player gives short answers, the reporters don't want to ask a bunch of follow-ups because they keep getting burned with, hey, how was this? Oh, it's like this. Gary Trent's just, he's taciturn. He, he's, he's, um, he, you kind of got to pry stuff out of them. And in the Zoom era, it's hard to go back and back and back and say, okay, but what about this? Okay, but what about this? Okay, but what about this? Or like, oh man, that's not really what I'm asking. I'm looking for this. Like in the locker room, guys who are like that, you can kind of pull a little more out of them. You wouldn't see that on camera. This would be something you would do like human to human. Um, but you, it's just hard to do that in the Zoom era. That's just kind of the the guy GT2 is, as you say. And um he his actions inform the decisions made by journalists after that next question comes from zach at zach 11 clark on twitter who asks do you like ns Cantor this year or 2018-19 season um they're really similar uh i think i like the ns Cantor in 2019 because he had uh, first he was nurk's backup which was way better and then he had zach collins has his and myers leonard as his backup and an Ennis Cantor where he doesn't have to, have to, have to, have to, have to play so much like he does on this roster is a better Ennis Cantor. Next question comes from Scooby-Doo at MVH underscore genetics on Twitter who asks, is Gary Trent Jr.'s productivity a product of his opportunity with CJ out or born out of, or his born to ball talent? It's both, isn't it? Obviously, like he would be, he would be playing maybe about the same by this point with CJ with if CJ was still in the game, a little less, you know, six less minutes a night, but, um, he, he wouldn't have this big of a share of the offense as he does now. And he's balling out because he's good. This is a talent thing. Um, the NBA is all about opportunity, but the opportunities, the windows are always very, very small. You got to seize it. And Gary has, after a kind of a slow start to the season has, has really come along, even if he was kind of, bad against the Bucks. Let's just, we'll, we're leaving that game in the dust. But let's play it back to back. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about all of this on Wednesday's show. Next question comes from Dan Zeal at Dizzy Zebo on Twitter, who asks, if the Dame era ended this season, how would it be remembered? Uh, he would be the still, I think he'd still be the second best player in franchise history. Um, with all due respect to Marcus Aldridge and Bill Walton, uh, Dame is... He's he's already way the heck up there on the leaderboards. Um, he's got this team to Western Conference Finals, which Lamarcus didn't. So we'll just um, we'll just sort of cross that one out. Uh, Walton wasn't around the team long enough. He wouldn't be. I don't think. I think if the, if his season ended like today, like if he just said, "Cool, I'm retiring, y'all. I'm going to pursue a career as a as a winemaker," because CJ and Carmelo really convinced me that that's the move. Um, I think he'd be the, you know, he would be lauded and appreciated. They'd build him a statue and he'd be the second greatest blazer of all time. Next question comes from Ian Armstrong at Strong Comedy on Twitter who asks, are the late closeout slash bad contest on opponents threes a product of our system or effort? I get not wanting to compound the breakdown by risking a foul, but I remember two years ago Myers running out and slashing his arms slashing his arms through as he ran past looked dumb but it seemed effective yeah Myers is really big so when he puts his arms up he's even bigger um 
Yeah, I think it's both. I think some of it is the system. It's like against the Bulls, they wanted to double team Levine. And when you double team, you have to rotate. Like you have to, if you double team and it's a pick and roll, someone has to help on the roller. And then after you help on the roller, you have to help on the weak side. Somebody's got to guard two. What's, you know, split the difference between two guys. And the Blazers aren't, just don't have a lot of guys who are really good at that. So then the rotations get sloppy and the ball moves or teams just see it enough times like the Bulls did a couple of times. They just saw what the Blazers were doing on those pick and roll doubles with, uh, with Levine. And I thought Thad Young particularly, uh, gave the Blazers some real issues in that game with his ability to make decisions as a short roller. Um, other times it's just the Blazers are maybe a step slow. I've noticed uh, Anthony Simon seems to, he, he kind of loses guys behind him off the ball. So sometimes he'll try to close out to a spot and realize that a guy has, um, has relocated a little bit. So it's, it's everything. Some of it's scheme, some of it's, it's guys, um, just not being good at it. It's, it's a combination of things. They're bad on defense because, um, because of everything is, is the answer. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka 28, who asks, should we, wor- should we be worried with how much Dame is playing? You know, uh, yes, I think is the, is the simplest answer. Yes. Like it, it would be better if Dame played 32 minutes a night and the Blazers were pretty good. Um, but in order they're just they're just in a spot where there isn't a solution like they can't play him less because they'll lose um i've been you know really obsessing over their minutes without dame and and how it's going to sort of define their season um and so they're going to lose if they don't play him a bunch but also like if you play him 38 minutes a night and ask him to carry such a heavy burden he's going to be gassed just physically and mentally by the time the playoffs come and um then even if they're healthy, their best player has just carried such a big minutes burden all year long and mileage burden all year long that he's he, it's really hard to make that run. The playoffs are 10 weeks. Like, it's a long, long, long road once you even get to the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's playing too much, but I don't... What is there a reasonable solution other than lose? I, I, I don't see it. Next question comes from Pradeep, who asks, This year we are last in assists per game, but sixth in offense. This has been a consistent trend over the last couple of years. Why is this? Is this because Stotts' flow offense or Dame being the primary ball handler? The Warriors run a flow offense too, but they have a much higher assists per game and have historically been a good offense. Not great this year. Yeah, I mean, the Warriors and Blazers um, do not run even a remotely similar offense. The Blazers are one of the league leaders in running pick, high pick and rolls per game game and the Warriors are in the bottom five in the NBA. Um, they're just not even remotely similar in how they generate offense. Um, I Maybe they both teams play in play in flow. And by that, I mean, they would prefer both coaches, particularly Steve Kerr, to not call plays and just have guys move around and run with actions and reads and stuff like that. But the Warriors run like a million split cuts and they have Curry screen off the ball and um, they're just they're just not running anything that's even remotely similar to what the Blazers are running. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure where that came from, but I think the first part of your question is a very reasonable and interesting one. The Blazers have been a really low assist team and a top ten offense for three straight years. Um, it's curious because I mean it's obvious, right? Like Dame dribbles a lot and shoots off the dribble. The Blazers always lead the NBA in or have for the last two seasons in NBA in 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 shots three pointers taken off the dribble you just you're not going to assist a lot of a lot of you're not going to have a lot of assists when dame's dribbling into threes and cj's dribbling into threes so some of it is their best two players the guys who use the most possessions and are the most high volume scorers on the team are just sort of natural low assist guys because um 
because of the way they want to score. I also think sometimes the offense stagnates just kind of watching Dame do stuff and they don't run. Guys give up on actions. Even if Terry will call something, sometimes guys are like, well, screw it. I mean, He's just going to break off the play. Um, I also think the Blazers just ha- don't have a bunch of really gifted passers on the team. You know, Dame is a really good passer, but again, he's a, he's a he's a volume scorer as well. CJ really developed into a passer for the first time this season. Melo, not much of a passer. Cantor can make a really nice right-handed pass, but no other passes. So I do really think it's, I, I think it's scheme, but I also think it's personnel. Um, I know I've answered this like twice now in the same segment to say it's a little bit of both, but it, it, it typically is. I mean, I think we want to paint it as black and white as the team was bad, so the coach sucks and these these players are infallible. But in fact, it's like the coach sucked, the team sucked, that's why they lost. The coach did well, the team did well, that's why they won. It's, it's always both. So I do think it's a little bit of guys of sort of what both Dame and, and Terry are comfortable running. Um, but this is what I've said a couple times on the pod. Like if they're efficient, the aesthetics don't matter as much. It's only just when they start to slip up that I'm going to say their aesthetics matter. And particularly when Dame's in the game, I don't care about aesthetics. They're an elite offense because he's so darn good. It's it's the problem is the if you develop those bad habits that when he's not in the game that you don't run good offense, then it becomes a concern. And I think that's my biggest concern with this team is that the lack of ball movement when their star players on the court's okay because Dame's so damn good in transition and can get his, can score against anyone, get his shots against anyone, that so of the whole offense functions that way even when he's not on the court and that is problematic blue asks i've been thinking about how an average person would stack up in the nba so my question is how many wins do you think a team comprised of lebron ad excuse me lebron kd anthony davis dame and yourself would end up with man uh we i've joked about this before like how many points a game could i score if 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 um an nba team just like didn't care about how bad i was on defense and they kept feeding me even if i missed like if they treated me like an nba player on offense and ignored the fact that i could not guard anyone on defense um and i think it'd be like maybe i think i would average like just over three a game i'd probably go like one for eight on threes every single game and uh and and this is assuming i get like 35 minutes right um one for eight on threes in a game and like every so often i would hit two um so but that team would be really good i think i feel like that's like a 55 win team but we would lose in the playoffs because they'd put me in pick and rolls every single time maybe more maybe that's like a 65 win team but we'd still lose in the playoffs because i would have to guard so many damn pick and rolls next question comes from james and beaverton who asks what would you can would let me try that one again what, for you, would constitute a successful season for the Portland Trailblazers? Obviously, all the teams won a championship at the end. I would be satisfied with if we could take the Lakers to at least six games in the Western Conference Finals. I'm getting tired of our team getting bounced every year in four or five games. What is the Trailblazers' best-case scenario? So, yeah, I, I think I think it has to sort of change within context, right? Like I think at the beginning of the year, the best case scenario was that exactly that was that they would get to the Western conference finals and take whoever there was like, if it's the Lakers, give the Lakers a a darn good season. Um, But I I kind of think now it is, it's changed a little bit just because it's going to be hard to make, make the playoffs in the crowded West and and considering their health. Like if they, I think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they're just going to be a low level playoff team. Um, So I think, I think a successful season and um, many of you maybe disagree. It's just if, if they're competitive in their playoff series, like if they make the if they make the playoffs and it's like last year where they they win game one and then get smoked in games, 
you know, two through five and, and the season's over. It's that's boring to me. Even if they play relatively competitive and lose four games like they did a couple years ago, or that was a five game series against the Warriors in, uh, in, in 2015 or 2016 rather. Um, so I think it's, I, I'm not sure that that's around. Like obviously the Western conference finals would be just an absolutely undeniable successful season. And you couldn't convince me otherwise, but I, I can see a situation where they even, the first round is going to sting. If they lose in the first round, this is going to sting. But if, if they make the second round and they're competitive in that series, they lose in six or seven games and they're right there, like competitive, you could you might still be frustrated with how it ended, but I think there's no way not to call that a successful season. I really, I think Ring's culture has poisoned the way we think and feel about teams that we like. Um, so many teams have great years and great seasons without winning championships. So I'm glad you said that, James. It's, 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 it's an important part of appreciating the NBA is that the Lakers and Celtics win all the titles. Maybe the Spurs and Bulls, depending on how old you are. It's, um, you've got to appreciate, you know, 29 other teams or 28, if you don't count, count the team that lost in the finals. They can, many of them can have very good seasons and not end up, um, you know, chasing a ring at the end. That's going to do it for this edition of Mailbag Monday. We ran a little long this week. I'm probably in the future. I'm going to start breaking these up. Um, I don't want to do 45-minute long podcasts. That's not the point of these podcasts. I want them to be 25 minutes so you can listen to them quickly in the morning, keep them moving, and check back the next day. Like, that's my goal for these. Um, I wanted to get everyone's questions in, so I went a little long this time. But I think in the future, I am going to do two mailbags a week. Uh, That's not finalized, but it'll probably begin next week. So send me your questions early. Just shoot them to the gmails locked on blazers pot at gmail.com just get them in i'll organize them i'll i'll even email you back and say hey your your question's going to be on wednesday show so you don't miss it um yeah you know i'd love for you to listen to every single podcast i post but i i recognize how people live their lives and maybe you don't get to every single one so like i said i don't want these to be super long i know this one's going long and it's even going longer with the outro y'all but so in the future, Mailbag Monday might be a Mailbag Monday and then a, uh, as one listener <laughs> wrote me, maybe a Thoughts Thursday, which I hate that branding, but I haven't come up with anything else. So maybe Thoughts Thursday is on the way. In any case, if you want to get involved, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Like I said, email the show, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. A reminder that this episode was brought to you by 1010. 1010 is an exclusive collection of -of one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today using only diamonds responsibly sustainably sourced from Botswana. 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful diamond ring launching exclusively on January 18th at BlueNile.com. This is an exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings which launched on January 18th and you can check it out exclusively at BlueNile.com.